Welcome to the Miles Pike Podcast, a podcast that strives to foster excellence in gospel music both on the stage and in the local church through conversations. I'm your host, Miles Pike. I'm hoping to probe into the lives and minds of gospel artists, industry legends, and some frontline people on the worship scene. Guests include fellow artists, pastors, session players, producers, songwriters, comedians, radio personalities, and theologians. Subscribe to not miss an episode. Share on social media with the musicians, pastors, and music ministers in your life. And please rate and comment to help take us all the way to being able to say that dozens and dozens are listening. Thank you for taking time to join in on the conversation. Now on to the program. Well, here is part two of my conversation with my friend and award-winning gospel artist, songwriter, Bible teacher, and all-around music legend, Michael Card. If you did not hear the last episode, then I would recommend you go back and catch it. It details Michael's early life, tips on songwriting, and why he does what he does the way he does it. This half of our conversation will take a deep dive into questions about how did Jesus worship? What were the times like into which he was born? and even a hint as to whether Jesus had an accent. Also, if you missed the lightning round, check it out in this episode. Since you helped translate the Christian Standard Bible, free Uh plug there, um, I would love to have your take, just in in short, on Colossians 3.16. It says, We are to sing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So, since they, there's three distinct categories there, how would you define those? How should we think about, okay, this song is this and this song is that? Yeah. Well, I, one of the things I've learned just lately, especially since I've been working on this last book on the life of Jesus, is there, there's a difference between thinking in Greek and thinking in Hebrew. Now, Paul, Paul writes in Greek, but he thinks in Hebrew. That's one of the interesting things. Yeah. Like you, you know, you look at the, uh, the Gospel of John and you think, oh, you know, here's John. He talks about the logos. That's a Greek word. But he's not thinking logos. He's thinking debar, which is the Hebrew word for word. And if you really want to understand what he's talking about, you have to understand the Hebrew background because he thinks in Hebrew. I'm not a Paul guy, I, I, so I had to do my homework. <laughs> and uh, I, I, did look those, I, look, I did look those words up. And he, and he, he repeats that same list in Ephesians 519 too. So it's a phrase that he uses, songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. So the Greek way of looking at that is, okay, each one of those is a separate term and it means something specific. So the, the first one is mm-hmm. basically, the, uh, it's a Greek transliteration of the sound. It's psalmois. Psalmois uh, is the Greek word. And it's for psalm. And Luke uses it uh, also in uh, Luke twenty forty two when he refers to the book of Psalms. So that first one is yeah, that's literally, almost literally psalms. Um, uh, the second one is, the, is, is a transliteration of the word hymn. So, uh, uh, so uh, it's a song of praise, and, and that word's only twice, used twice in the New Testament, and it's both those two mm-hmm. passages by Paul. And then the third one uh, is, the, it's basically songs that are spiritual. Uh, so... I would say the, the Greek way is let's pick these three apart and see how that they are three specific 
uh, specifically different forms. I think in Hebrew, you look at it and you would say, in one sense, they all kind of mean the same thing. They're, uh, he's reiterating that they're, you know, in every different way that we can praise him with a psalm, with a, a, a spiritual song, um, uh, or with a song of praise, a hymn or a psalm or a song of praise. In, in one sense, this is the whole range. You know what I'm saying? In, in, if you're thinking mm-hmm. in Hebrew, yeah. what Paul is saying, we, we, we praise him with the whole range of these, uh, everything from a psalm that would be in Scripture to a spiritual song that we would sort of make up, you know, kind of on the spot to a hymn, which we would find in a hymnal, that sort of thing. Uh, so for me, who tries to think in Hebrew more than Greek, I'm, I think Paul is basically saying in every possible form that we can praise him with, um, we're, we're going to do that. Because when I, when I looked in the lexicons and tried to, tried to see that if these were three specifically different things, I really didn't find... They're, they're aspects of the same thing. That's what I'm saying. Uh, he, he's reiterating okay. that they're, in every different way that we can praise him, we're going we're gonna to use these three forms. So I don't think the point is, let's talk about how each one of those is different. Does that make sense? Yes, and, I, and I'm yeah. really glad I asked because yeah. I've heard such varying opinions on that and, you know, really people trying to push that verse into their box, how yeah. they, yeah. what they want it to say. And yeah. so, yeah, that's, that, that's helpful. Well, you um, can, you, you can, you know, you can, the, the first two, like I said, are basically just transliterations of the word psalm and the word hymn. And, um, and the third one is uh, songs that are spiritual. And I don't think anyone would disagree that the psalms or the hymns are spiritual songs. So in one sense, mm-hmm. I won't always say he's redundant, but he's, he's repeating the same thing over again for em- emphasis. And I think the feeling I get when I looked at it this morning was that he, he means every sort of expression that can be referred to as uh, a, a song of praise. That's, that's kind of what I came up with. Um, okay. and it's, it's, it's a very Pauline idea. Paul does that. Paul will repeat himself and Jesus does it occasionally. He'll repeat himself. He'll say the same thing in a couple of different ways to make the point. And I think, I think that's what's going on. But again, I'm not a, I'm not a Paul guy. I'm a, I'm a gospel's life of Jesus guy. Michael, one, uh, kind of surprising biblical argument that seems to be making the rounds that I've become aware of just lately as a new worship leader in our church is the question and the debate of um, who is the worship leader in the church. Uh, Some say it's the music minister and some say it's the pastor. And um, I don't want to dive into trying to explain all the intricacies of both sides of the debate. Either you know about it or you don't. But yeah. Have you heard the questions, and do you have anything to throw in there to once for all help clear that up? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I have, I have heard that, and I've, and I've wondered about that. And my, my knee jerk response, my quick, quick answer that first comes to mind is, well, it's the pastor, right? Because he's giving leadership, and certainly, he's giving leadership over the worship, and and that seems like a, a pretty good answer to me. But then, um, the more I think about it. Uh, I think the the person who you know who has been called it's all about it's a matter of calling the person who's been gifted as a worship leader and you sheep are led sheep aren't driven uh that's that's the person who you know um uh, you know should be or is 
I don't, I don't know what the, the right word is, um, but the, the worship leader in, is, is the person in, in leadership who's been given that, that gift of leading in worship. And I think sometimes the pastor inspires the, the worship leader to do it, and sometimes the worship leader is, is more gifted. Maybe the pastor is more of an expositor. So I, I do know that in, in Greek thinking, as opposed to Hebrew thinking, in Greek thinking, we want the answer to be one thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not always necessarily one thing. So uh, I think it has to do with calling. I think the person who in, in any given body has been really given that calling to uh, give leadership and, 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 and lead people in worship, um, that's the person who does it. I think sometimes it's the pastor and sometimes it's the worship leader. Uh, but I, I, do, I do love it when, the, when pastors give you know, ultimately give the leadership in, in worship. That's, that's kind of the best of both worlds. Yeah. I I feel like I'm going to go out on a limb. This is just my take on it. And I, I may be swayed one way or the other, but I think the worship leader in the church, um, would be the one that's leading worship in the church yes. at the time, you know, so yeah. it's, you yeah. know, and I, and I know there's situations where, you know, uh, maybe a smaller church that doesn't have a staff quote unquote. And so the pastor maybe picks the songs or, or, uh, or, or maybe it's just somebody that comes in and, you know, the, the guy that waves his arm and, and sings, you know, he picks out some songs, you know, just as he walks in, I'm not a fan of that by any stretch of the imagination. No, uh, so no, in those yeah. those cases where there's not the care given and the thought given toward planning the service, yeah. I would say, okay, that's just somebody up there waving their arm singing, you know, and, yeah. and that's not to say that's not needed, but, you know, put put some time yeah. in it. Act like you're doing it for God. But, you know, if, if it's, uh, I think music is catechesis. It is teaching. And when you choose a song, you're choosing to teach something. Yes. And yeah. so. And, and. Well, and then also, I mean, then, then again, you, you can do another. You, I can use that also as a case for the, the pastor is giving, given leadership in so far as he's coming up with the themes. But then yes, the worship yes. leader who's, gift, who's gifted in giving leadership. So maybe it ends up being both people. Ideally, the pastor is, is leading the worship in terms of the theme of his sermon because I, always th- I think the worship should fit. You know, we, worship is responding to the word. We hear the word preached and then we respond and then i think so in that sense both you know both people are responsible but see that's not a the answer is one kind of one thing that's uh that's both people are responsible so you know maybe that's uh, maybe you're uh, i i see what you're saying there well one phrase that i heard um back years ago at at stamps bachelor school of music from one of the teachers that really has stuck with me is you know there's a difference between between being the worship leader and getting up there and being the lead worshiper, you know that—that's what I want to oh. be. Oh, that's good. You know, I, I want to, you know, just hey, you know, here, here's here's the song. Let me express it. Let me try to, you know, uh, worship in such a way before you that you feel the freedom to do it yourself. And, right, um, you feel led that I'm going to follow you in, yes. in worship. Yes, yeah. yeah. And so anyway, that that that's. Uh, you know, that Greek and Hebrew thinking, that's very interesting. I, I imagine we could go on about that for quite a while. Um, well, it, it's a, a lot has been written about it, but it's, it's interesting. Hebrew, Hebrew is a verbal language. People who think in Hebrew, Jesus thinks in verbs, and we think in nouns. 
And so we're oh. always trying to define things, Greek thinking, you're always defining things. And you'll find that rabbis and, and uh, uh, people in the kind of the Jewish world, they're very comfortable with what feels like a con- something that's contradictory. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, we want the answer to be one thing. And, and you'll see rabbis are very, very comfortable with, uh, with well, the answer could be this or it could be that. And we, that, that kind of makes us, <laughs> that gives us trouble. <laughs> we want the answer to be one thing. Yeah, and, and so often in the Bible it's like, well, is it this or is it that? And the answer is both. You know, yes, and, right. That's that's right. So it kind of very much depends on the on the context and um and actually a guy in our church, I'd never heard this uh put this way before, but is another one of those things that stuck to me stuck with me in it, and it was just a couple of weeks ago. In devotional time, he said, you know, the Bible is written for us, but it wasn't written to us. And oh, wow, that is that? well. What he means is you have to look who it it was written to in order to understand what it's saying to you. Like you oh, know, if if yes. you're if you're going to read Leviticus and you don't understand who it was written to and the historical background and who the Jewish people were, it's like you're completely yeah. going to become a legalist. You know, that's good. Uh, and so I, that just really hit home with me that yes context matters and yes. um and one one of the things i want to talk about um in, in this next section is you specifically asked for me to uh talk about the life of christ because that's your your forte and so i'm really excited to get uh-huh. into some of this but um what one thing i thought you might get a kick out of my family and i have been using your four commentaries from the four gospels as our mealtime devotions uh-huh. for quite a while now. Um, wow. high, highly recommend Thank those. Um, basically every meal we, we read a, a, a section. And uh-huh. matter of fact, um, I'll, I'll tell you this, Martha, because we, all of our kids were, they're three and a half and under. We had three kids mm-hmm. in a year and a half because we had a set of twins. So mm-hmm. um, wow. really small. But we're trying to teach them to, to sit and listen and, you know, all that. So Martha has got to where she'll read it, and then she'll say, this is the word of the Lord. And mm-hmm. we taught them to say, thanks be to God. Wow. And so, wow. so they're, you know, uh, the twins are just now two, but they've been doing it forever. They, uh-huh. they say, I God. <laughs> and, and now wow. it's become a thing of... They it's it's who can say it the loudest. Oh, God! <laughs> uh. So it's kind of tradition. Well, she'll read the passage wow. and then read your commentary. Well, they got to where they was expecting something after the commentary to know that it was over. So she uh-huh. would say, "This is the commentary of Card." Oh, God! <laughs> <laughs> so oh, that's scary. That scares me. <laughs> but uh, you've you've delve deeply into the Gospels of the New Testament, and I, I think about how Paul and Silas knew a hymn or a psalm by Heart in Prison. Uh, the New Testament yeah. implores us to sing and to use music. We know that Jesus sang because they right. left the upper room and they sang a hymn. And right. so Jesus was a worship leader. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah. What, so what do we know about the worship life of Jesus and, and from the gospels. And what does it tell us today? Like, you know, did he, did he sing Tomlin stuff? How great I am. Sing with me. How great right. I am. Uh, 
um, so what do we know about his worship habits? Well, I, I think the most important thing to understand about Jesus' world is that it is, it's fragmented. Jesus lives in a broken world. There's a lot of transition, and it's going on just exactly, exactly during his life. I mean, his, it's, I don't think it's any uh, coincidence. So the, the, the two big pieces, and they're fragmented, even, though, even those. Now, on one side, you've got uh, what scholars call Israelite religion, okay? Temple, sacrifices, priests, um, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. That's one half of Jesus' world. The other half of his world is this new, relatively new thing that we call rabbinic Judaism. So where you've got synagogue, you've got rabbis, and you've got okay. the oral law. Those are, the, those are two of the fragmented pieces of his world. And they, are, they fight with each other. They're fighting for supremacy and the fighting for the people's hearts and that sort of thing. Sounds so like Jesus' he world came in terms tipping- of... Yeah, sorry, it sounds like he kind of came at a tipping point in history. Exactly. Wow. And, and the thing is, if you read through the Gospels, this becomes really clear. At first, it sounds a little bit complicated, but it's not really complicated. There's kind of the temple world, and there's the synagogue world, and they're two different worlds. And what happens in 70 AD, the Romans completely destroy the, the temple, and that's the end of Israelite religion. You can't, you can't sacrifice sheep someplace else. It's got to be there at the temple. Mm-hmm. So what we have, what we call Judaism today is rabbinic Judaism, synagogue, uh, oral law, uh, I have a, a, a rabbinic friend in Jerusalem. I asked him a pa- about a passage in, uh, in Jeremiah, and he very almost proudly said, well, I can't tell you what Jeremiah says, but I can tell you what the Talmud says about Jeremiah. The Talmud is like oral law. Uh-huh. So very, okay. you know, very much, okay. you know, the rabbi, rabbis will say, we are the descendants of the Pharisees. So that's the world that we have now. And that is, Jesus is, both of those worlds exist at the same time in Jesus' world. And I think, we need to take that more seriously because so you ask a question like what is worship well worship in the temple israelite world is you know sacrifice and you you go to the temple and there's a enormous uh, uh orchestra and singers in the temple that's the music that's there it must have been glorious uh every day there's there's music going on in the temple so they weren't then, church of christ uh, no, they got all, all kinds of instruments. Okay, okay, just yeah, but, just being sure. But then, but then, just make that clear. But then, mm-hmm. then you got synagogue worship, which we we don't know that much about. Uh, to if you if people are really honest, the development of what worship was like in the synagogue, we're not really sure. We know it was public reading of scripture because we see Jesus doing that, and we know it has to do with public with public prayer, which in Judaism is largely blessing making a blessing things their prayer prayers are largely uh uh baroka baroka is a is a blessing um we don't know we're not that sure what what the music was exactly uh in the synagogue in those early we're not even sure when the synagogue started to be to be frank uh, to be frank but but the thing is if you want to know about jesus world he's between two worlds when it comes to worship He's, he's hmm. between a, 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 a formal Israelite world where worshiping includes offering animals for sacrifice and being there in the temple and yeah. making the pilgrimage to, uh, to, to Jerusalem. For, Jesus spends three months out of every year walking back and forth to Jerusalem for the three big feasts. I mean, that to me is, is amazing. That's what worship looks like on that side. And the other side is the synagogue side, which is 
It's much less uh, formal, involves reading or the reading of scripture and uh, and and it must have been involved music, uh, but we're not really sure what the music was like. Hmm. Well, but it's all his his world is all fragmented. Those are only two of the fragments. Then you've got you've got the revolutionary part, the the a zealot movement that's starting, and that movement was actually born almost the same year Jesus was born in Galilee. So that you know, there's there's scholars now that are arguing whether the term Galilean might mean uh, revolutionary, not not necessarily that you're from a particular place, but uh, because the the zealot movement started in Galilee, and then you got Essenes who are going into the wilderness and trying to separate and be mm-hmm. be uh, uh, you know it's it is so fragmented and no one agrees on anything. Even the Pharisees are are divided into seven different groups, and they fight with each oh, other. Wow, I so, didn't know that. Yeah, it, it's just it is it, the the word for Jesus' world is fragmentation, and then now we have John the Baptist, and everybody's trying to figure out what John the Baptist is doing. Because you don't baptize Jews, you baptize Gentile converts, and so nobody can understand what that's all about. And then, and then, lo and behold, in the, into all this confusion uh, comes Jesus. With this, uh, wow. in, in one in, in one way, Jesus is very conservative. He's he's actually, I think, more more aligned with with Israelite religion than the Pharisees are. The Pharisees are the ones that are making up this oral law, which Jesus you know, doesn't like. Jesus says, you know, as you put this burden on people, you won't lift a finger to help them. These are words, words made by, or rules made by men, he mm-hmm. says, of, of the yeah. old law. And then people ask him a question, he'll say, well, what does Moses say? You know, that's, that's, or, or he'll heal somebody and he'll say, well, go to the temple and make the sacrifices that Moses told you to make. So in some senses, and I think, I think of the other time when he's in the temple courts and he won't let people carry things through the temple courts because that's, that's disrespecting to the temple. So in some ways, he's really conservative, which I think is is uh, is fascinating. He's yeah. not this revolutionary uh, that sometimes he's he's pictured as. Although uh, certainly he's not he's not just one thing. He's certainly revolutionary in some ways. Well, in, in a historical context, this isn't in my notes, but you mm-hmm. know, I know Jesus, you know, came to that corner of the world and it was you know especially fragmented like you're talking about but i know you're also familiar with with history would you say that you know categorically things are more fragmented and worse now in ways or do you think it's just always been bad and it's just there's more media and news to see all the fragmentation i i think in one sense you know there's nothing new under the sun Oh yeah, and when you read when you read historically about some of the horrific things that have happened, um, you know, I, I was talking to somebody the other day here in Franklin, and they go, oh, "Our country's never been more divided." <laughs> well, twenty thousand people died in one day in a battle here during the Civil War, and I kind of rolled my eyes and said, ah, "I don't know. <laughs> I think <laughs> yes, maybe we've been yes. we've been more divided than we are now." But that's not to say that like. Um, I think there there's a, a a very strong foothold. I think Satan has a really strong foothold in our culture today, and I think uh, the 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 primary primary uh, tool is. I mean, he's the father of lies, and the 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 problem, at least the, as I experience it, Miles, is that you just you don't know what the truth is anymore in terms of of what's going on the the reporting and and what we hear about 
what this person said or what that, you know, this political person or whatever. You just don't know what the truth is anymore. And that is very um, um, destabilizing. And oh, yes. for me, it's, it's, it's another one of the big reasons why I keep fleeing back to the life of Jesus where, you know, I'll, 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 you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. That, that, that mm-hmm. This truth that became a person and, and said and did and validated uh, everything that he said and did and, and was resurrected and um, to, to prove that it was all true. Um, he's that person that I go to in, in the midst of, like you say, a culture right now that's just so dark. Yep. Um, uh, it's just so dark right now. Well, I, you know, you're talking about Satan being the father of lies. It reminds me of a quote from George Washington that says, you can't hardly believe anything that you read on Facebook. And uh, <laughs> I think I think that's a source of a lot of our frustrations is, oh, yes. gosh, just the the megaphone of uh, yes. of all that that mess. Yeah, it's never been easier to broadcast your lies. Oh, yeah. The, the Churchill, yeah. you know, a lie can get, travel around the world before the truth can get its pants on. It's oh, yeah, so true, and that's just another indicator of our fallen world. That lies thrive, and yes. the truth has to is like a flickering torch. Um, yeah, people will believe a lie even when they know it's not true. That's what's really crazy. Yes, they'll accept yes. a lie even when they know it's not true. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Well, thinking on jesus uh this is another one of those churchy debates that i'd love to get your take on um what is the place of entertainment in church because i would say that jesus was entertaining i mean like just for example certainly most public speakers aren't engaging enough that they feel comfortable just inviting the parents to bring their children down front um and right now i know people's attention spans are shorter but a speaker that is able to keep people to and past the point of hunger. Mm-hmm. That is a phenomena I have never experienced in my life. And I've heard some good speakers and uh-huh. I'd go so far to say that I think if Jesus showed up today, he could even hold people's attention for maybe an hour and a half. But yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, what is the place of that? How do you see Jesus using it? And when have we gone from, you know, using entertainment as a tool and, okay, here's the fireworks and the light show and the pastor using an illustrated sermon with, you know, props? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I, what you said before, I mean, there, literally it's spelled out in the Gospels. The people were delighted. And they hung on his every word. So, yeah, he was very entertaining, uh, mainly because you never knew what he was going to do next. That must have been really fun, right? Yes. Because there's just no yes. telling what he's going to do. They're going to try to trap him with questions. And there's, uh, there's, I think, one or two examples of those trick questions that the Pharisees ask him towards the end of his ministry. Well, everybody asks him. The Sadducees and the priests all ask him these trap questions. And he, he'll give them, you know, like, do, should we give... Money, uh, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? That kind of thing. And he always outwits them. And there are a couple examples where it says, oh, the people just were so pleased or a uh, Pharisee shouted, well said, master. You know, so people are getting caught up, I think, with what he's saying. But the point is, I think entertainment, entertainment is always a byproduct. 
It's uh-huh. never supposed to be the. It's never the point. So no, that's that's good. I, I think that, that's good. Yeah, it's and so like you know I, I I struggle with this a lot. You know, you and I, every now and then people would call me an entertainer, which would always kind of make my skin crawl because <laughs> yeah. that's not what I'm that's not what I'm doing, right? I, I'm I'm not trying to entertain. I'm trying to communicate the truth, and sometimes as a byproduct, that's very entertaining if you sing well and you know you you perform well. And, you know, the Bible says we should play excellently. And, you know, we try to be our best to do that. But the I don't think the point is ever entertainment. But uh, I think Jesus, I think you're right. I think he was very entertaining most of the time. Of course, sometimes he's he's not very entertaining. And people pick up stones and they're going to, you know, stone him where they say this is a hard saying. Who can accept it? And they leave. So he's not consistently you know, entertaining. Sometimes he's confrontive and people say, even his own disciples say, I just can't take this anymore. I can't follow <laughs> this guy anymore. Yeah. So, yeah. uh, and I, I, and I, how, how realistic, I mean, how cool is it that that's, again, it's the answer is not just one thing. Sometimes he's very entertaining and sometimes he's, uh, somebody, uh, I, I had to look up this word. <laughs> somebody called him a provocateur, which means uh-huh. he basically provoked, he provoked people. Oh, and, uh, oh I yes. Thought, I mean, you think about how he yes. purposefully poked his finger in the eye of the Pharisees over the Sabbath over yeah. and over and right. over and over. Right. Well, I think one of the best examples is when he heals a blind man in, in, uh, in John that he spits and makes mud. You know, I ask mm-hmm. people, okay, does Jesus have to use mud to heal people? No, he doesn't even have to be there, right? Go home your daughter's well, right? He doesn't even have to be there. So what is he doing? Well, he's provoking them. He's making them mad because part of the oral law says you can't spit on the Sabbath. And so <laughs> he does that on purpose. He doesn't have to do it, but he does it on purpose just to provoke them. And, and I, I, reading that story, I, I, this is just what I always thought and what I saw when that uh-huh. story unfolded. But, you know, I thought about him spitting in the ground and rolling out a circle, rolling out eyeballs. You know, uh-huh. like the God of creation once again going sure. to the dust. And so it's like, but, but then that adds such another layer of he's doing that on purpose. You know, this dumb law, right. you and, can't spit on the Sabbath. And, and if you read the rest of the, 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 you know, it goes into this long investigation and they question the guy's parents and they question him and, you know, they end up banning him. Uh, but what they keep saying is, okay, who made the mud? Okay, who made the mud? Okay, what did he do to your eyes, right? And and the other thing is, and this is something I've just learned, there were four miracles that were referred to in the Mishnah as, mis- as messianic miracles. There are four miracles that only the Messiah can do. And one of those was healing a birth defect, healing someone who was born blind. Oh. So here's the, the odd thing is, and this tells you about the Pharisees, they fail to recognize a messianic miracle, not just a miracle, but a miracle that only the Messiah can do. Because he has broken one of their laws. And I, you know, mm. again, I, wow. he had to, he did that on purpose. He was doing that on purpose because he doesn't have to do it that way. But mm-hmm. it's, he knows it's Sabbath. He knows he's not supposed to spit. And uh, because the law says that the spit might run downhill and making, and if it runs downhill, it'll make mud and making mud is work. <laughs> you can't blow a candle out on the Sabbath because the wick becomes charcoal and making charcoal is work. So you can't uh. blow a candle and and to this day an orthodox jewish person will pay a gentile we call it a a, a, my sabbath goy a goy is the word for gentile Mm -hmm. you you pay a gentile person to come over your house and turn the lights off on the sabbath 
because I won't do that on the Sabbath. I you won't know, push a, we have <laughs> we have Sabbath elevators in Jerusalem in in Israel where on the Sabbath you get on and it stops automatically at every floor because if you push the button, that's work. Yeah, yeah. I, I, <laughs> I, they talk about you know the lo- lost tribes of Israel and you know after the temple uh-huh. nobody knew who anyone was and who's fully Jewish. I know where the lineage of the Pharisees went. They're working at the IRS. Making up arbitrary <laughs> rules and and laws, making so. up the rules, and they won't lift just a finger to, to help us. Yeah, yeah, just 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 solve that uh, <laughs> that mystery once and for all. There, um, but it, I guess in in movies of Jesus and portrayals that I've seen, you know, talking about Jesus being entertaining, it's like you, whenever the Pharisees confront him, and it's like Jesus rebuffs them and rebukes them yeah. and, and, and really pins them down where they cannot move. You know, and, and there's right. kind of like just the audience is quiet and the Pharisees are murmuring and blah, 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 blah. But what I always thought about is the crowd going, ooh. You know, just this, yeah. this you know, intake of, oh, wow, did he just say that? Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it, because we don't think in their context. I mean, they knew exactly how he had thwarted them, you know, and so yeah. in, in that in that vein, I mean, Jesus was a a master of contextualization, and that's a word that I learned recently um, because I'm, I'm going through and reading some of these worship books uh, about you know uh-huh. how to how to lead the church in worship, and and in terms of that, it, it's it's I guess for those listening that may not know where, what I'm talking about, it's taking timeless truth. And worship practices, uh, practices, and interpreting them in terms of the time and place we live in. And mm-hmm. Jesus's teachings are uh, just full of references to things that everyone in that time would be familiar with. He he hooked right. his audiences with the context of the everyday life. He he knew they were farmers, and so he gave a parable on seed. He uh, knew all the customs about the wedding, and but yet he used those things and he drew them into an eternal truth. Uh, with fishermen, mm-hmm. he said, I'll make you fishers of men. And it yeah. seemed so effortless for him, which, of course, he had the God factor going for him. Um, but yeah. but then you try doing it yourself, and you get into the nitty-gritty of thinking through the meticulous things and, and like, with church worship and church practices, and you realize that uh, contextualization is a, is a tightrope with pitfalls on yeah. all sides. Because basically you're yeah. interpreting the truth for people to meet them where they're at. Yes, bring it to their level, to use a cliche, but you've got to do it without adulterating that truth. And, um, you know, you don't want to hack it to bits. And for musicians, if you're trying to create music that stays true to the truth, to true to your artistic vision but you need to serve your audience. <laughs> it's like you're, you're juggling so many things. Yeah. Um, so for the church, you're trying to hold to timeless worship practices, and you need the congregation to be engaged and ministered to. What, what can we learn from Jesus? I mean, how did he walk this tightrope? Well, I, I don't think you, you really understand anything until you understand it in your context. I think that's it's, it's this necessary part of understanding the truth. And I think the parables, you mentioned the parables, that's, that's his primary way of teaching. 
mm-hmm. uh, that and questions. He asked a lot of questions that he, I think he answers like 300 some odd questions and he only answers three of them. So he'll, in order to bring things into their context and make them engage, he'll ask them a question and they'll just kind of leave it hanging in the air and you've got to engage or you're not going to get it. Um, and that people Mm. love that. And then obviously certain people hate that because he's teaching the truth. But I, I think the whole, the whole business of context is part, it's incarnation. I mean, he comes into our context and he's speaking a certain language in a certain, into a certain culture. And like you said, he's using their metaphors. He, he thinks of himself metaphorically. Uh, and I think that's another way of putting things into a certain context so people can understand them. Um, one of the examples there in, in John, he talks about, he'll say, I'm the gate for the sheep. And then yep. the very next yep. thing he says is, I'm the shepherd. Well, what people don't realize is that that's the same. The, the shepherd is the gate for the sheep. The gate mm-hmm. in his culture, mm-hmm. the shepherd would lie down in the gap and be, become the gate. And so, what he's doing, he's saying the same thing two different ways. And like you're saying, he's 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 using in the, it's their context. They'll they totally understand what he's talking about. And it, it, sometimes people accuse Jesus of being obscure. If you're being obscure, you don't say the same thing two different ways to make the point, to make sure people get it. Uh, if, if people don't get it, it's because they, they fail to engage and they, they don't want to, you know, be, I don't know, changed and overcome, uh, have, their, have their lives changed by the truth. But, um, yeah, I, I don't think there's any other way to communi- communicate the truth except to take seriously people's context and, and, and speak to it, speak the truth in a way that, that, that they are able to receive it. And I think these days that gets, it gets harder and harder, you know, the, the uh, do you think, um, thing and, do you think multiculturalism has made that uh, substantially harder? I think in some ways it makes it harder in some ways it makes it easier. It makes it harder because you're, you're speaking to d- different contexts but it makes it easier in that you're, you've got more language and more images that you can draw from. So I mm, think, you know, mm, either way, yeah. you know, it's, 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 uh, it's harder and it's easier. I don't think it's ever been easy to, um, to communicate the truth. I mean, most particularly the truth, the truth about who Jesus is, that you are, you, that you are unacceptable. You are completely unacceptable because of your sin. Nevertheless, God accepts you and to the beloved because of what Jesus has done for you. He's, 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 you know, paid that price for our sin and he's, uh, he, he's opened that, uh, that doorway. He, he is the door. He's, he's opened the doorway into this relationship with God that otherwise is impossible. There's no way I can stand before God except, you know, with the blood of Christ. And, uh, even though I'm completely unacceptable, God accepts me. I mean, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's and hard to communicate sometimes. A- absolutely. And I- I'm thinking how yeah. Jesus quoted rabbis. Uh, he utilized mm-hmm. their manner of teaching on occasion. He yes. referred to current events. Um, I think in, in Luke, uh, whenever he's talking about the Tower of Siloam falling, um, uh-huh. would it be fair to say that Jesus spoke in pop culture references? In, in, well, I, you know, I, I know what you're saying when you say pop culture and his current cultural references. Absolutely. Sure. And he and he teaches, like you said, he teaches like a rabbi. People call him rabbi. Now, in Jesus day, we don't have ordained rabbis yet. So it's not an office 
the way it will become, you know, later. Uh, oh, okay. But, but there okay. are famous teachers that are, rabbi means great one. Um, there, there are famous teachers who are called rabbis, but no such thing as an ordained rabbi yet. That hasn't, that hasn't happened yet. But uh, he, yeah, he, he gets called rabbi all the time. And Jesus does something, and I just learned this, Miles. Um, one of the things the rabbis do is that they, it's called putting a fence around the law. And, yes, um, uh-huh. and so the, cla- the classic one, you know, the, the, the law says to, you know, to honor the Sabbath. And then there's not a lot of detail given in the Hebrew Bible about what to do. Well, the rabbis, they, this whole business of don't spit on the Sabbath, that's, he's building a fence around the law so that you don't break the actual law. And yeah. I used to see that as a negative thing. But then I just read an article the other day where the guy was showing how Jesus did the same thing. Jesus would say, you know, you've heard it said, you know, don't commit murder. Well, I say, don't get angry. Well, in a sense, Jesus is doing what rabbis do. He's building a fence around the law. If you, if you keep yourself from being angry, then you're not ever going to break that law. You know, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. What I say, don't look at a woman that way. Well, yeah. he sees building a fence that, uh-huh. that helps me not break the law. Hmm. And that was the first time that I ever saw, wow, you know, he really is, he really is functioning the way, you know, the way rabbis function. Well, and, and, and the, the New Testament goes on and says, flee from the very appearance of evil. You know, before you even get close yes. enough to smell it, you know, you see it afar off yes. and you run the other direction. And that's a fence around the law, so you won't break it. And I, and I think that's a good thing. And, and again, we, we have this f- bad feeling about rabbi, you know, at least from the, from the Gospels. We get this really anti-Semitic feeling about Judaism sometimes. And the truth is, the early leaders in the church were all Pharisees. Uh, there were, you know, there were, you know, Joseph Arimathea, Nicodemus, the two guys that buried Jesus are Pharisees. Uh, in Acts, Gamaliel, who was this very famous uh, Pharisee and teacher, Gamaliel mm-hmm. stands up for the Christians. Um, yeah. they're, 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 what we primarily have is one group of the Pharisees. They were the followers of a man named Shammai. I think the people who tend to hound Jesus and, and give him troubles are the followers of one particular sect. But there's, there are other Pharisees. Hillel was this very Christ-like uh, rabbi that's a little bit before Jesus. But, uh, and he, he even taught the golden rule. He had his own version of the golden rule. So, um, hmm. uh, yeah, some, sometimes I think we get this one-sided version because he gets so much opposition from this one group of Pharisees. But, the Fer- well, I mean, Paul's a Pharisee, right? They're, they're not all bad guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's, you know, my mind is, is, is running. You've really got me thinking and I know, I know you have well, for the listeners Let me, let me well, add, so. let me add a little more, let me add a little more confusion. The, the, there's a new <laughs> idea. There's a new idea that the Greek word eudioi, which we translate Jew. Uh, there's a pretty strong idea that that should be translated Judean and that the, the, the people that are giving Jesus uh, opposition are people from Judea, from around Jerusalem. And um, yeah. every now and then it should be translated Jew. I, get, I think I get that. But uh, and a lot of times in the Gospels, it's, this, it's Judeans. It's people that are hounding him that have come all the way from Jerusalem to investigate what he's doing and give him a hard time. Yeah, they and went to the country a, from the city, you know, because right, the, the, the Galileans were the, you know, they were me. They were the country bumpkins, you know. Exactly, exactly. And Jesus speaks in a, in a recognizable accent. There's certain syllables that Jesus doesn't pronounce, and it makes him sound uneducated. 
and he's from this area Galilee is where troublemakers come from. I, I read somebody said, you know, if the term Messiah belongs any place, it does not belong in Galilee. It belongs in Judea and Jerusalem where the temple is. And so mm. the very fact that here the, the Messiah is coming from Galilee, that is, you know, that's the first strike against him. Are you trying to tell me that Jesus said y'all? Exactly. Well, <laughs> you know, there, 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 there's a, there's a, he, I, I just read there, there is a whole passage in the Mishnah that does nothing but make fun of the fact that there are several words that um, that um, Galileans can't pronounce. I can oh. find that if you want to hear that. Wow. Hold well, on, I, let me see if I can find I think I've got that in my notes right here. Now, uh, see, now see who... who... <laughs> Who, who has a copy of the Mishnah that they can just, you know, oh, yeah, it's this part of the book and right here. But, <laughs> well, just, um, I love you, Michael. Yeah. <laughs> okay, here it is. Here it is. Okay, this is from the Talmud. This is what they said. You uh, stupid Galileans, do you want something to ride on? Now, the, the Hebrew word is hamar. Or yeah. do you want something to drink? Hamar. See, the, the, the Galileans didn't differentiate those two syllables. Or some ah. clothing, amar. Or something to sacrifice, imar. So there, here's four words, donkey, wine, wool, and lamb. Hamar, hamar, amar, and imar. And that what the Talmud is saying, stupid Galileans, you can't tell the difference when they say those words. <laughs> and, and that's Jesus. There are certain syllables that he can't pronounce because he's a Galilean. And... Um, you know, I can't. They, I can't it, wait it, for your the, book. When, oh, well, Peter stands it when Peter is investigated. Yep. They say mm -hmm. these yep. clearly these men are, and the Greek word is idiotes. It doesn't mean they're idiots. It means they're unschooled. Why are they unschooled? Because they talk like you and me. <laughs> they <laughs> got a drawl. They that, talk that's funny. That's great. That's great. Yeah. A theme you seem to speak a lot about in your writing and your music uh, is identity. And uh -huh. here lately, I've had what I would call an identity crisis. Um, I, I thought, yeah, I, I, I thought for a bit it might, might be a midlife crisis, but that would have me dying pretty early if that's the middle. But, um, <laughs> but 20, how old are you? If you don't mind me asking 36, just turned 36. Oh gosh. I've got socks that are older than that. Okay, go on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but 2020 and and the shutdowns absolutely stripped me bare in terms of yeah. robbing me of not just something that I love to do, but right. it was the only thing I've ever done. And yep. because of me being legally blind, one of the only things I can physically do. Um, and also just something that um, in the church context, I had been told that I was called to do. And I felt called right in terms of giftedness and love for the ministry, seeing fruit from it, and, and yeah. dare I say, even being successful, you know, not in terms of, yes. of wild fame or acclaim, but, you know, just staying busy and able to make a living at it, seeing God's blessings and the providences and people, yep. you know, expressing benefit from it. And, and then it just seemed overnight it was all snuffed out. And... Yeah. Um, not going into the politics of the necessity of it or argue either way on, on masks or vaccines right. or any of that. But I know right. there were untold thousands of people who had their ministries turned upside down and lives and, and, and you know, in our case, 15 years of work uh, just absolutely 
shattered um, yeah. and, and really no end in sight uh, to when it could it could come back. Certainly, I don't think it's ever going back to what it was. I think just like with Jesus, that him coming at a tipping point, I think this has been a tipping point for the church. Mm. Um, uh-huh. But could you speak to how a Christian should view a calling? Um, is, is the way that we think of it a biblical concept? Do callings change? Um, and how would you help someone listening think through these things who is uh, not coping well and, and maybe facing yeah. an identity crisis? Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's definitely a biblical idea because Paul talks about calling, about it being irrevocable and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I guess to, so, to nail that down a, a little more, I think I've heard two arguments. One is the calling is your salvation. You were called to salvation as opposed to, okay, you're saved and now God is calling you to the ministry or God is calling you to be a housewife or God yeah. is calling you to uh, serve in Cambodia. You know, just that, yeah. those, those differences. No, I, th- I think callings are specific because uh, giftings are sp- specific. People are get c- clearly given certain gifts, right? And I think that gift lines up with your calling. And the other thing, the thing that I struggle with uh, when I determined whether I was called or not was I, I used to think that um, you've, you have to sort of figure this out on your own. And then what I was, what I was taught, what Dr. Lane helped me understand is your community is really the, they, they confirm your calling. They come mm-hmm. alongside and say, you know, you you have this gift and we, yeah, we believe that God is calling you to do this and we're going to support you and send you out or, or whatever. So, uh, that, cause, cause I didn't, I didn't want to do music. I didn't feel like that was my calling at all. I want to do something else. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, the community and specifically this professor who discipled me said, no, I think God has given you the gift for music, and here's my here's a sermon. You know, I want you to write us a song, write us a chorus for next Sunday. Or I would have never started doing that if there wasn't a person in the community that helped me understand my calling. So yeah, I think it's biblical and I think it's specific, and I and I think your community uh, affirms. Yeah, let's say that use that word. I think your uh, your community affirms that. But given this current crisis. I think callings can change or, you know, your same giftedness can be used in a different context. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I don't think God locks you into one thing. And now that you can't do that anymore, you're, you're done. I think he, he, he's very, I mean, obviously he's, he's a fairly creative individual. <laughs> so he finds, he finds creative ways for us to still use the same gifts that we have. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, I'll never forget that that moment when Bill said, "Here, here's my sermon for next Sunday." It was his sermon on John twenty one, the second miraculous catch of fish. Write us a chorus, and talk about you yeah. know God using you know your my foolishness. I would love to say, "Oh, I'm a spiritual person," and I heard God speak, and I, I understood my calling. I did it to please Bill, you know. I did it to please my pastor. I wanted to impress him. But God knew that about me. And God says, well, you know, all I've got to work with is Mike's foolishness, <laughs> right? <laughs> and his fragileness. So I'm going to use that. And uh, isn't it wonderful that that's how God works? I mean, he uses our foolishness because that's all we got to offer. I mean, if you think, isn't God lucky that I'm on his team because I've got this gift? I say, think again. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, then you remember... Um you know, Balaam's, Balaam's ass. And it's like, yeah, (laughs) um, that's right. Talk about, talk about creative. 
Um, right. Exactly. You know, if it, yeah, if I don't use you to praise me, I'm going to use a rock. So, you know, you, you know, you choose, <laughs> <laughs> you got the ball, you got the ball mess up. Yeah. So. Yeah. In, in, but in our, uh, context, you know, what happened in short was, you know, it's like once we got, you know, it's like we thought, well, once we get to the summer, you know, last year, things will open up. Once we get to the fall, once we get yeah. to the winter, once we get to the vaccine, once the election is over, you know, all this stuff yeah. is like, I'm just hanging my hat on it. It's going to come back. It's going to come back. It's going to come back and staying yeah. as busy as I could, but you know, uh, lost right. like 90% of, of all of our stuff and, and nothing going yeah. forward. And wow. so I told Martha, I said, I, I can't keep doing this. I'm going to lose my mind, uh, yeah. you know, because I, I just don't have an outlet. And I mean, we about killed ourselves working here around the house, always finding something to do. And then three toddlers. I mean, what more do you need to do? But um, right. it's like the, it wasn't the busyness that I needed. And so I just told Martha, I can't do this. And then within like a week, like less than a week, I found out kind of accidentally that our church was looking for a music minister. And so I, um, I just told the Lord, I said, this is, this is my fleece. I don't, I don't know if people out there believe in fleeces or, or what, I don't know if that was the wise thing to do, but I just did not have the, and I still, you know, it's like, I don't have the power to make those decisions. It's like, if, if I say, yeah, I'll do it, then it's like, I'm hanging up the thing that I love and have loved and want to do the most so I just said, Lord, if you open up this door, I'll walk through it, and I'll take that as a, as a yes. And and so it was just such a, a providential thing. I can see his hand in it, yeah. but it's still so very uncomfortable. I'm so out of my element. Well, but it's, it's, and, use, um, it's using the giftedness that you had before and that you'd used for 30 years, right, in, in a different context. And, yeah, I... Yeah. Yeah. It's just putting a lot of it on mute. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, um, I, before I was, I didn't answer to anybody, you know, I could do the songs that I right. wanted, record the songs right. I wanted and, um, wow. And all that kind of stuff. And, and, huh? and also just the, well, it's the, it's the, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Feel? Nobody likes that. Okay. Tell me how that, how did that feel? <laughs> Use your words. <laughs> <laughs> I had my own version of that. I gave leadership to a church kind of as a teaching pastor for seven months, uh, you know, during mm -hmm. the middle of all this. And uh, it, was it was hard. But I was using the same yeah. gifts that I had before. Yeah. It was just for the same group of people every Sunday. And I have a whole new appreciation for pastors and what they do. Because I'm like you. I'm, I'm, I go to a different place every week or every weekend. Yep. New crowd. Yep. They haven't heard this talk. Same jokes work, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh it was a good thing i don't know if my jokes ever worked but no. <laughs> um well that that's helpful just um you know it, it, hey if, if michael's been through it you know and it's obvious that god's call is on your life you know by the fruit that you've borne over the years and by the you know the the giftedness that you have and i don't know sometimes i think that he uses everything which is one of the great thing, one of the great things about him. So he's used COVID, I think, for a lot of people to just stop and realize. Okay, I mean, for me, I wasn't that much a church. I'm not a church guy. I'm not a my, I have, my best friend is a pastor, and he refers to himself as a churchman. I've never. I, I mean, I go to church obviously, <laughs> and I try to help out in church, but I've never. I've never felt like a churchman. And during co what COVID, COVID helped me realize no. There's a, this, there's a group of us, uh, one, a very big church, maybe 50, 100 people, 
but uh, I'm going to take yeah. responsibility and, and open the door of my life to these folks and walk with them. And I did it for seven months. And, and it, it's not, being a pastor is not my calling specifically, but teaching the Bible is. So I got to use that. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, that, that's very encouraging yeah. to hear because I think that's one of the big shakeups of COVID is that, you know, I think we realized, you know, the true church realized more and more that in this context, we are not a people who it is possible to obey the book of Hebrews and forsake not the assembling of yourselves together and do it online. You know, technology is great for what it is. It's, it's enabled us to do business far and wide and all that, but the business of the church is person to person. And we're, we're social creatures. I mean, that's the way that God created us. I mean, God is a community in the Trinity and he made us in his image to feed off of one another. And there's no such thing as a, you know, a a toe off by itself that's productive or or an ear that's off by itself that's productive. We must come together as the body, work as the body, and uh, our sanctification depends on it. And um, the, uh, you know, one thing I noticed in that passage in Hebrews that I'd never seen before, and and, and maybe you can help me because, you know, this isn't uh, the Gospels or Paul. I don't know who wrote Hebrews, but (laughs) that, that passage says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as a manner of some is. It's like nothing takes God by surprise. And it could have been, you know, translated, uh, if it's what it meant, you know, forsake not the assembling of yourselves. And mm-hmm. it's like, okay, assemble yourselves. Assemble yourselves on the computer. You know, assemble yourselves on the phone. Assemble yourselves, yeah. you know, uh, under a doctrinal statement. Sign your names. But the the specific nature of the word together in person mm-hmm. I think yes. I think that is one of the blessings of COVID in that, you know, God's people have felt that deeply. And I'll just throw this out there. If you're listening and you was able to go for a year without gathering as the church and that really didn't bother you at all, then, hey, you need to check your spiritual pulse, you know, because, right. um, you know, Christ even had community. And, you know, you think he Absolutely. needed sanctification, you know, uh, to, to be more perfect, but... You know, it's like he, God, in his humanity, used those people around him to bring him into the fullness of, of who he was. Yeah, absolutely. Well, if you have not checked out Michael's podcast, In the Studio with Michael Card, I would highly recommend that. Uh, go subscribe today uh, for more of these helpful insights. Um, and And unfortunately, on my podcast, I cannot legally play music on here without a bit of trouble so i tried but no cigar but uh michael actually gets to to play live in the studio and you get to hear his music he has fantastic guests so in the studio with michael card go and subscribe check that out i've listened to it many 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 times uh over the years some episodes over and over again it's always a blessing and i I listen often so uh check that out check out michael's music uh, but I want to uh, do, as always, and end with a lightning round because this is a great way to get some recommendations out there to you guys, uh, maybe find some music and people that you would not otherwise be aware of. So, uh, Michael, who is your favorite gospel artist? Well, I mean, I think the ob- the answer is obvious, Miles Pike, right? 
<laughs> you, you need but to get out a di- more. A, dis- <laughs> a distant, a distant second place would probably be Buddy Green. I like Buddy Green. Oh man, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, buddy, Buddy is just so fits his name. He is a Buddy. He's uh, yeah, he's awesome. Very personable. Uh, what about a favorite secular artist? It's toss up between uh, James Taylor and Michael McDonald. Those are my two favorites. I'm gonna have to go check out Michael McDonald. I know James Taylor, but oh, uh, that's a new name. He's to a, me. One, he was one of the Doobie Brothers. He's actually a believer. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. all right. Favorite gospel song, and I'll give you the permission to exclude your own. <laughs> yeah, gr- great is thy faithfulness. Mm. Yeah, yeah. That's got to be. That's got to be my favorite one. Uh, favorite secular song. Uh, it's a Michael McDonald song called Peace. And it's a kind of a, it's a little, it's kind of a hymn. It's still a sec- secular song, but yeah, Peace by Michael McDonald. Okay. Uh, most influential person? Dr. William Lane. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him. He's, he's that person that asked me to write the first song I ever wrote. I, I had a feeling that, that very well may be yeah. him. Uh, what about an album recommendation? I think right now, currently, uh, Randy Scruggs, who passed away uh, a few years ago, his last record was called Crown of Jewels, and uh-huh. I think that's it. In particular, there's a song on there. He has an instrumental version of uh, Both Sides Now uh, okay. that I think is, is really good. So, mm. A book recommendation? Uh, without a question, uh, Odd to Heaven, Rooted to Earth, The Prayers of Walter Brueggemann. Brueggemann is an Old Testament uh, theologian, but he writes these incredible prayers. So oh. it's a collection of those prayers. Odd, A-W-E-D, Odd to Heaven, Rooted to Earth, The Prayers of Walter Brueggemann. Favorite book. Wow. Okay. Can you spell that last name just for the listeners? Yeah. It's, well, it's, it's, it spells like it sounds. B-R-U-G-G-E-M-A-N-N, Walter Brueggemann. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, most memorable moment. I think the most, my most memorable moment is when, is being there when my four kids were born. I mean, I was there for each one of them. So that's mm-hmm. four most memorable moments, but <laughs> being the first person to see their face and hold them for the first time, that's, I mean, that's gotta be, that's gotta be it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, in your travels, uh, best place you've ever eaten. Okay. Without a question, there's a little restaurant in Belfast called the Tidy Duffer, T-I-D-Y-D-U-F-F-E-R. <laughs> the Tidy Duffer is my favorite place. All right. Now, what what kind of food yeah. is it? Uh, it's pub pub food. So you okay, know, okay. Like, uh, I, I assume probably uh, so. But uh, we yeah. we went and sang in uh, England and Sweden, and the funniest thing about singing in in the UK was, and, and we had some really good English food too, but some of the best was yeah. like Indian, Chinese, Thai, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, they, uh, this is like shepherd's pie and you'll, you'll be in England and it's, you know, they'll always apologize. and say, Oh, I'm sorry. All we can do is pub food. Well, that can be trout or lamb or, I mean, I, I think my, my favorite food is pub food. So tidy duffer yeah. in Belfast. Now is, is <laughs> haggis considered pub food? No, I've never, I've never had, and ne- never will have haggis. So okay, no, okay, that's, yeah, that, that's not going to happen. <laughs> Has there been a particular uh, rebuke, exhortation, or encouragement that has shaped your ministry? Yeah, you know, I've referred to it about a dozen times already. I think is that one moment when Bill Lane 
who I was studying, I was studying Bible with him. I didn't study music. I, I wasn't in school studying music. Bill, Bill Lane, he's pastoring this little uh, biracial church in Bowling Green, Kentucky, Cecilia Memorial Presbyterian Church. And um, I just so revered this man. Mm. And he, he, he walks up and says, you know, um, you play the guitar, don't you, Mr. Card? And I said, yeah, but I didn't play Christian music. I played, you know, James Taylor music like that. Yeah, Bill said, here's my sermon for next week. I want you to write a chorus. And it's like that moment, it's this moment that God kind of took every fragmented piece of my life and put it back together and put it, put it together in a, in a way that I'm, I'm sitting here talking to you right now because there were this one man that God used to say, I think you have the gift of music. And, uh, and I had never, I mean, I was handy. I could play the guitar and the banjo and I grew up playing it, but that was not what I wanted to do with my life. And um, <laughs> yeah. so that, that was the moment that um, God used to kind of put me together. Well, what about a funniest moment? Yeah, you know, I, you, I saw that, and I, there were so many stupid and kind of uh, body things that happened on the road. Yeah, and, Jeff told uh, me about him uh, showing up in the same clothes as you and yeah, y'all being yeah, the Bobsy Twins. The, so. He thought it was funny. I thought it was irritating. I think, the, the, and this is so odd. The, this is the only moment I can think of. We I toured with a wonderful bass player named Daniel Lannerty for years and years, and Danny, his bass was like his baby. I mean, he, he, um, you know, you could no one could touch it, and you know, it was it was just he he babied this thing, and <laughs> and one day we were we were packing up, and and I took his bass out of the case in a soft case and I filled it full of microphone stands and, oh. and I said, here, Danny, let me carry that for you. And of course he doesn't even want me to carry it. And uh, he goes, no, no, that's okay. And I, I let it fall off my shoulder and hit the floor. And, <laughs> and yeah, so you think that's funny. I think that's funny too. It just sounds like the stupidest thing to do, but that struck me as being, that's one of the funniest things that ever happened to me, the look on his face. And he, he, he's kind of stamps his feet. And he goes, why did you do that? And I'm smiling, <laughs> which makes him even madder, you know, because he thinks I've just busted his base. So uh, and I open the case and there, there's <laughs> microphone stands in it. And I don't know that for some reason, that's the only time I could think of. But, you know, from being on the road, there's a thousand, you know, funny and stupid things that uh, that, uh, <laughs> that happen. But that's just the that's the only one I could think of. Well, the, the reason that I laugh is that sounds exactly like something I would do. And, and have done similar things. And, and I can't imagine when you're expecting, you know, like uh, the sound of a bass falling over in the case and it was a bunch of microphone stands that rattle. Yeah. It must have sounded like yeah. it absolutely shattered in there. Well, what you do, you find a weakness and you go for it, right? And that that's, was his weakness, right? right? So right. He's, he was vulnerable. So you go for, yeah. All right. Well, the last question on the lightning round, you are ruler of the world. Congratulations on yes. the promotion. What's your first you. order? Well, you know, I hate hate to get serious and, and stuff, but my, my order would would be real simple. It would it would be okay, from now on, we've got to do what Jesus said. And that that's that's the order. You gotta do what he said. You know, you gotta love each other, you gotta care for the poor, all the all those things that he said. Oh man, but, I thought you'd I mean, choose something hard. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm ruler. You got no choice, right? Okay. I'm, all right. Well, uh, well I'll start right yeah. now. <laughs> You got to do what he said. Turn that button on. <laughs> oh man, yeah, it's um, mm, what what a culture to try to practice that in. It it really should yeah. make 
you know, I talked about the truth being a flickering torch, torch, but in this, um, in this decaying, dark, twisted generation, I, I hope the church will latch onto that, and I believe that would make it a blazing bonfire if we would um, stand out like that, because it would stand I, I out. I think people, well, people are just so hungry for us to be kind, right? Mm -hmm. And to, you know, love people, you know, um, you, you love people um, as they are and not as they should be, because nobody is as they should be. Uh, people are just hungry for that. Yeah, yeah. Well, Michael, I, I tell you, I knew this would be good, but it has uh, far exceeded my expectations and also far exceeded uh, my, uh, my, uh, my counter on my podcast timer over here. So I yeah. appreciate your, uh, your willingness to give of, your, of yourself and your time. I, I know that anyone who takes the opportunity to listen to this has, has uh, thoroughly benefited and uh, really, really, really appreciate it. Hope that we can... Uh, I, I, I tell you what, even out of the context of COVID or in it, I just want to shake your hand, hug your neck again, and um, get Amen. to spend some time face-to-face. -face. Yeah, well, we'll we're going to do that hopefully sooner than later. Amen. Amen. Well, God Amen. bless you, my brother. Thank you so much. Thanks. Bye-bye. Well, if you haven't checked out Michael's podcast, go to In the Studio with Michael Card. Uh, go subscribe to that today for more of these helpful insights where they can actually legally play his music on there. I tried, but no cigar. But it's always a blessing. I listen to it often. Also, go to michaelcard.com. You can find books and music, his tour dates, and much, much more. Now, we have several new episodes that will be coming up over the next uh, few months. I'm really excited that I finally got caught up enough uh, from my new position at the church and able to give some more time to the podcast. So be sure, hit the subscribe button, rate, review, help us out, share it with others who you think would enjoy these types of conversations. Well, I hope that you enjoyed this time that we spent together. I know that I have, and I pray that it has made you more appreciate the forms and functions of worship and the gifted people who help facilitate it. Continue the conversation by emailing any questions or suggestions you may have through my website at www.milespipemusic.com. That's M-I-L-E-S-P-I-K-E music.com. Support this endeavor by rating, reviewing, and sharing. If you want to go the extra mile, then I would greatly appreciate it if you purchase some digital downloads or hard copies of my music through the website and patronize our guest in any way that you can. Websites and details to that end will be in the show notes. This program plans to release every other week, so keep your eye out for the next edition of the Miles Pike Podcast. Till next time, worship wisely.